it sounds nice because I've got these good headphones in. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we know that the audio sounds great through great headphones. Yeah, you just have to trust me. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good, good for me too, though. Mm-hmm. Do the whole podcasting whispers. Yes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bryce. And I'm Will. And this is SideQuests. So today, I would like to talk about first-person shooters. Yeah, first-person shooters. And I want to do this largely because at some point in the recent past, we learned that you had never played Halo. That is 90% accurate. I played a very tiny amount of oh, Halo. Oh, right, right. It involved but, Angelo. Yes. Right. Um, I've played, <laughs> never played any first-person shooter that was published after... Now I have, after Jedi Knight. Uh, when was that? I don't know. Um, I was in high school at okay. the time. Hmm. Other than Portal. Okay. Right. So that's an interesting one because it... Well, they're defining what it means to be a first-person shooter. In almost all of them, it involves uh, including Portal in that list. Unless right. if you define it by you have to shoot people. Um, I also played a little bit of Splatoon a couple oh. of months ago, which was fun. Um, isn't that third person? Yeah, I guess it is, isn't it? <laughs> but um, I, I've but the only... camera is like fixed right behind you. Yeah. Um, well, well, I think starting with... Um, the first time I really noticed that you had this level of control was in the Resident Evil 4. Mm. Suddenly you had first person controls, but you were controlling a camera swinging around behind you. Right. When I was younger, I much preferred third person games to first person games just because I felt like I could do it better and I could see. More. Yeah, there's, there's something that feels, I mean, especially those early games, um, there's something that feels very claustrophobic about them. And it's, it, it's a weird feeling because, you know, part of the appeal of, of Doom, um, and, you know, I bring up Doom not because it's the first first-person shooter, obviously it's not, but because it is the first one that is extremely successful, but also, like, passes a lot of these, like, technological hurdles. It's the first mm. one that, like, feels really good in a certain way. But even even in, in Doom, it's extremely claustrophobic, and you can't really see behind you, because you can't. And, and, and that's... These early games, they're, like... There's like a, a kind of lie, a kind of techno, I don't know, techno-utopian lie that as we increase the level of technology and graphical fidelity and certain kinds of technical problems in games, they become more, quote, more immersive. Hmm. Um, and, and one of the things that's funny, so like we're, we're doing other things like, oh my god, it's like you're really there. That's not really what's appealing about those games, but that's the thing that the appeal of those games would be described in those terms sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> funny though because... One of the things I liked better about third-person games was I loved Siphon Filter. And I, I understand that that is not the most popular opinion. Because there's Metal Gear Solid, okay. which is like the other game that you would compare them to. They involved stealth and sneaking around and shooting people sometimes and whatever. I don't think I ever played Siphon Filter. I played Rainbow Six. Huh. Which, oh, yeah, that's yeah. All, is that, that's first-person as well, actually, isn't it? It is, but it also has, like, a third-person planning, or, like, a map yeah. view, and it involves, like, planning your whole thing. And so you can actually play that game without doing anything. Right. My cousin had it, and he lost the manual or something. So we had <laughs> no idea how to play it, and it was functionally useless. 
And I was like, I wish I could play this game. It looks cool. It looks kind of neat. <laughs> and that's cool because like everything is one hit kills and one shot kills and so on. So, um, but but third person games, you have peripheral vision in them. In them, you do not have peripheral vision in first person. Games. Right, and that's what I was getting at. Like, there's this idea that these first-person games are extremely, extremely immersive because they, you know, put you in this, like, they situate the camera in your eyeballs or whatever. All right, and we're back from our technical difficulties. Um, yeah, I think what I was saying was that you know, there's this, there's this sense that we're that we're approaching realism and we're approaching increasing realism. And that's and so like now we're in this first person mode and we're like in three D and we're approaching increasing realism. But there's something that's unsatisfying about these early first person games because you have like no situational awareness and it it doesn't feel realistic. It doesn't feel like it feels to be running around in a cramped corridor surrounded by demons. Nobody really knows what that <laughs> feels like, but that's okay. One thing that's funny is that you can talk about realism and immersion, but but you still have abstractions going on even in the most realistic game and in fact you want there to be abstractions and simplifications and things right. like that like a game that was actually perfectly real and perfectly realistic is is probably you know playing the matrix you know would be the best right. example of this and so you could do that but like it wouldn't be fun it wouldn't be a game right or or maybe it would but and the technical hurdles are insurmountable, right? Like, mm-hmm. so that's that's fine, um, right? And VR, and everyone's really into VR at the moment. If you if you read about games and game design and game future, and yeah. I don't know, maybe VR is the next big thing. And I'm just jaded because it's been the next big thing a couple times. <laughs> well, VR is uh, well. First of all, super hot in VR was awesome. Oh, that's the other first-person shooter I've played. That's modern. Oh yeah, that's true. And I understand that it is very different, the VR version, compared to the 2D version. Um, but that's okay. Uh, I haven't played the 2D version. I've only played the VR version. And it was super fun. It was so specialized and custom an experience that I'm not certain that it's applicable to dominating everything from now on. Well, Superhot is playing the Matrix, right? I mean, that's like that's its yeah the the gimmick of the game. There's it's definitely bullet time, right? Like, yeah, what? bullets very slowly moving towards your head so you can move your head out of the way. It's yeah. just really fun to really move your head out of the way. I'm I'm sure that's true. Um, yeah, I mean it's but but I can certainly when I heard that they had made super hot for VR mm-hmm. I, it seemed like oh that's that seems like a naturally good idea um, yeah it was <laughs> um, and I, don't, I haven't played it and I don't even know very much about it but you know the idea of being able to look in a different direction from where your gun is facing mm. seems re- is really important in life um, <laughs> and it's something that's just missing from from first person shooters right? right like you can at a different spot than like the center of the screen right. eventually and and again that's one of the things about about you know the third person peripheral vision uh difference right that that i liked more was that i could see parts that i was not shooting at yeah. and, and so you could do things like notice that somebody was next to you but you didn't necessarily have quite as tight a control scheme 
Um, and so it involved a lot of, you know, some form of auto-targeting or, um, you know, you could go into a first-person mode to, to shoot, which right. is, you know... For like, I mean, a lot of those games would have like a sniper rifle where you go into first person mode yeah. or something like that for yeah. for aiming, mm-hmm. um, right? Um, and even even pistols, I think, had something. Like yeah, more. I think Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid definitely had a first person mode that you would go. You could move in first person mm-hmm. mode. You could only be stationary because oh, yeah. we were limited to one, con- you know, one control pad or joystick or whatever. Oh yeah, on that controller. Um, That's true. So you couldn't be moving and aiming simultaneously. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I stopped playing these games around, you know, around then, and so, I mean, I played them on the PC, and, and it was interesting, but the, the early first-person shooters are very funny, because in some ways, they're just, like, they're just not that good. They were really cool, they yeah. were really neat, you hadn't, like, it was like, oh, I didn't think about that you could have a game like this. Hmm. Well, I had Wolfenstein mm-hmm. 3D on the... Uh, uh, PC right. in the ancient past. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not entirely certain I've ever played Doom, but hmm. I'm sure I have played an amount of Doom. But I was not sold on first-person games, partially because I felt very lost. Like, Wolfenstein is a maze. Right. And, and that was sort of the paradigm of first-person shooters was you're in a maze, you're in these internal corridors, you get lost, etc. And it's one of the things that's really funny about Halo is it plays on that because the first level of Halo, you're on a spaceship, you're on the Pillar of Autumn, and you run around in a maze and you're getting attacked and you go and you shoot things. And and then the second level is you're on the, the surface of the Halo. Right. And suddenly... It's like this miracle. It's like it's like um, where you're out in big, wide open fields. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. How yeah, yeah. suddenly everything's in color. And I had sort of ignored first person shooter games for much of my life. And then Halo, people were like, oh, it's really good. It's really fun. And I was like, oh, because you can orient yourself and you can know which way to go. And there's like not just a maze of corridors to run around in. And part of it is that being stuck in a maze, though it might be its own level of engagement, it's sort of not what you want. You don't want your players to be lost in your game. Mostly. Right. I mean, these games are also referred to as corridor shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first, it's like largely technical limitations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Doom. Well, I don't know about Doom. Wolfenstein has no... It is a two-dimensional map. You know, there is no mm-hmm. vertical positioning of anything. Right. You can't um, shoot up either. Right. Um, and I and I don't remember what's true about Doom. I think it's still a two-dimensional map. It's just a, a two-dimensional ray casting, and then they like draw some textures, some vertical line textures based on hmm. on the ray casting. But um, yeah, we should dub- we should double check because I think there's something different about Doom. I know Doom does have some flying a- enemies, and I don't remember the I don't remember the aiming in Doom. Um, there is something a really very long time. clever about their art assets being really tall. Mm. And so they fake having three a third like, okay. going up into the ceiling by having their texture be this like really weird like if you just like printed it out, it's like the if you are looking at the middle of it, you can see that. And if you look down, you're actually just scrolling down on this vertical image of everything. 
um, and it's a clever way of getting around that limitation. Um, I can't. I th I think that's Doom. Hmm. Um, I forget <laughs> whether it's not. It might be some similar like Quake or, right. or something. Similar. Yeah, and Quake is Quake is next. Um, and and Quake is the first like true 3D shooter, I think. But again, I'm not a game historian, and I'm not making any <laughs> any claims about that. Right. Um, but. But yeah, there's these, these these corridor shooters, and they're very claustrophobic, and a lot of they're like they're based around this premise, right? I mean, you're like, mm. you know, you're escaping from Nazi jail in Wolfenstein, or you're trapped in a right. dungeon with demons. Like, you're sort of escaping. You're like <laughs> in a place, and there's lots of Nazi insignias around you. You you begin swastikas, they call it. You begin by escaping from prison, from a jail cell. Is there a beginning? <laughs> yes, there is. I just remember you're just like, oh, now here I am. <laughs> you're, Go. In, you're in a jail cell, and I believe you punch a guard and get a knife, and then you kill a guard and get a gun. What? Maybe you start with the knife and knife a guard and get a gun. Do you have a knife in Wolfenstein? Yes, you start with the knife. Your first weapon is a knife, and I think you immediately kill a guard and get a gun. Oh. I, I have no memory of a beginning of this game. <laughs> Just endless moving around and, and being lost. And then eventually Robot Hitler. Um, yeah, I remember Robot Hitler. So we, we're at least talking about <laughs> some amount of the same game. Um, no, yeah, you, you, start, you start in a jail cell or, or like having this escape from a jail cell or something. It's like a very thin premise, right? right? Like for some reason the door is open and you kill a guard or something, uh. right? Like, you know. It wasn't until very recently that I learned that there was an original Wolfenstein. Which mm. is a two D right. game where you it's like a puzzle game. Yeah, I've never played it. I've um, yeah, I've only seen gameplay footage of it and it's like tile based, right? It's like Yeah, and it involves gar like sneaking around guards yeah. and they can see you and you have to like it's a puzzle game. Yeah. Kind of... Oh man, two D shareware puzzle games is, is a topic. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna get into it. The... I'm, gonna... I'm gonna write that down. Um... Two wait. Two D I guess shareware. Puzzle, shareware, game. I'm really referring to a particular game, but but we'll... Are you talking about Robot Odyssey? I'm not. Rocky's Boots? <laughs> I'm not. Oh. I'm talking about a game called ZZT. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, wait, Z, two Zs? Two Zs and one T. Oh. Um, Interesting. And there's too much to say about it, so All right. table it. Let's take a little bit of a break, and we'll come back and talk about let's say newer first person shooters yeah that's my plan so we're back um and i would like to talk about more modern games and i want to start with halo yeah um and this is important because we're going to play it in a little bit and then maybe talk about it afterwards as well uh so so halo came out for the the original xbox which was considerably better graphics-wise than some number of the things that were going on uh, beforehand. So They're... when did the Xbox come out? Because I'm, I'm shaky on, on this era of console. It's like the time so... I did, played zero games. Okay, so it was after the PlayStation 2, I think. That's like me. Oh, I can just look this yeah, up, look I suppose. Because um, the, the PlayStation 2 had a pretty solid grasp on the video game market. 2001. Is when the original Xbox came out? Yes. And when was the PlayStation 2? I don't know, but we had one in my undergrad house in 2001, so probably 2000 is my guess. P 
PS2 2000. Yep, March 4th, 2000 in Japan, October 25th, 26th in North America. Hmm. Well, okay, so that makes sense. So PlayStation had already had this pretty strong grasp on the market. And it had this huge leap because they could get people to buy it because it was backwards compatible with the first PlayStation. Right. So you didn't need all new games. Right. And this is sort of novel outside of a PC, which maybe makes it not novel in any way. But Sure, but yeah, I mean, and, and these days the idea that consoles and PCs are very similar and connected is is normal. But at the time, I mean... And it's even true now, a little bit, right? You're either a console gamer or a PC gamer. But, like, really, when we were kids, it was really, like, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, well, you had to put a bunch of money into one or the other. Right. I mean, everything was so about progressing. Everything has to get so much better that, you know, especially graphics-wise. It was all about graphics and the new graphics. Especially if you were going to include it as part of your identity. Right. (laughs) You really needed to be using something like the modern machine, in which case you had to put money into it. Right. Yeah, um, and I guess like last, uh, in our one of our previous podcasts, we talked about the, you know, the weird um, identity question of being a, a Sega, a Sega kid or a Nintendo kid. Um, that, did we talk about that? I, I think we did. Um, that, that was just a choice you had to make at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's because... Or I guess, no, it was, it was, it was Nintendo or, it was a Nintendo or PlayStation because we were talking about Oh yeah, the but, N64 and the PlayStation. Yeah. But but you know there like the divisions were much starker um, in what kinds of games you could play. I'm not. I there's also the fact that we were children, right? And you you really couldn't get more than one console, right? Per generation. Yeah, that's true. The, the odd truth is that like all gamers were children, or like most gamers were children mm. in the past. And then now we've grown up, and now most gamers are adults. Yeah, that is funny. Um, and kids just play .io games. Right, and Rogue Soul 2. <laughs> oh, yeah. I played that game. It's kind of fun. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> if you're the Rogue Soul 2 developer, um, you made a fine game. And our, uh, the kids we work with play it almost constantly. That's true. Yeah, and you know, there's um, the classic at this point, <laughs> which is... Agario. Agario, yeah. Yeah. Agario is the classic, yeah. meaning it's like a year and a half old. Yeah, let's let's table this and talk about IO right. games as a concept. Dot I because that's a that's a great games. That's a great thing to dissect. What? It, yeah, it's weirdly a genre. Um, I claim, but yeah. So anyway, Halo comes out. Um, Halo is it's a launch title for yeah. the Xbox. Okay, so that's something of note. And so there were shooters, first-person mm-hmm. shooters beforehand. A lot of them up to now are very complicated. They're complicated in one particular way, which is that you have like, you know, buttons one through five on your keyboard and you can choose which right. weapon you use and you can use all these weapons. Yeah. And Halo does this thing where they made this decision where you can only hold two weapons. Right. That's it. You can hold two and there's one button that toggles between them. So that's one thing. The Xbox natively has four ports available, mm-hmm. meaning you can do a four-player split-screen multiplayer. Right. And they could connect to other ones. So you could have, you could, like, like daisy-chain them? You could, uh, yeah, you could have 16 of them, I think. One time ever, I've played Halo 2 on two Xboxes with two screens with three or four people per team. And it's really fun. It's like a, like a LAN party. It's a LAN party. They made LAN parties work. 
in a way that has never worked before. Well, we have them. Now we plug them in, but because they're consoles and you don't have to make sure you have the same version of the game because it's just the disc in there. This, by the way, is going away because it's not true anymore. But they just worked. Right. Uh, for the most part. And, or maybe somebody just got it all set up before right. I entered the yeah, room. Yeah, but no one had to patch anything or get their drivers working. But I'm talking to you, StarCraft. <laughs> Driver Conflict 2.0 is the first game you play. The sequel is StarCraft. Yeah. So anyway, the first Halo comes out, and the multiplayer is a big part of it. Right. Because uh, you've got these maps, and you can run around, and it's not even online yet. Right. That's not until Halo 3. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Or maybe Halo 2 has online. Oh, right, because I, I guess consoles weren't online no. at this point. Yeah, Correct. yeah, okay. Uh, there was an adapter you could get for the PlayStation 2. By the time I got one, it came with the adapters. So at this point, you're like, you're doing the same thing in multiplayer that we did in GoldenEye. Yeah. You got four people running right. around shooting each other playing right. a game. I guess I guess that's a really really important game to talk about here. Um, but I didn't have an N sixty four, so I don't want to talk about it that much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's really important. I played a lot of Goldeneye, um, but did you like it? Uh, yes, I oh, did. Good. Um, and, and Perfect Dark is the other. And one I particularly liked, liked um, the fact that there was a mode that was one hit kill, and you could play the one hit kill mode. Oh yeah, um, you could set up that. In maybe all subsequent games, <laughs> I, I would believe it. Um, um, I definitely played a lot of uh, Halo matches with three people, one hit kills, running around. It was like yeah, one life, and you're yeah, that's yeah. It. I mean, Goldeneye is great, and I mean, especially on the console, right? Like Goldeneye is the early console first-person shooter. There is, yeah. I think, literally, there's nothing like it that was as successful mm -hmm. at that era i hear it doesn't age nearly as well um, as people want it to i'm sure that's true but it might like if i'm thinking about console first person shooters as far as i'm aware it like really goes like golden eye halo mm. and there's like nothing in the middle yeah i i think with any game you know any any big game has like 12 yeah and I, and I know there's some ports like so i know some of the pc games get ported to the consoles, but mm -hmm. but PC games, first-person shooters ported to consoles is like mostly a bad idea. Um, like it was until they figured out how to do it. Right. Um, well, and there's all these complaints about oh, you must be on a computer because you're so accurate. But right. But then again, the analog stick means control over speeds matters. Yeah, more right. And there's, I mean, certainly there's no there's no way we're going to talk about first-person shooters on consoles and PC without like talking about mouse and keyboard um, as a control scheme, right. but. Um, yeah, which is funny because in Wolfenstein, it was mouse or keyboard. Right. You could pick, and that's kind of fun. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But like they hadn't nailed that down yet. It's funny how, how that works with I, standards or convention. I, I think I only played Wolfenstein on the keyboard. I, I'd be curious. Do you, you move the mouse forward to start moving forward? Or, yeah. Or you hold down a mouse button to move? No, I think you move forward, and I, I liked it. That's <laughs> I think I liked it more. Weird. Um, <laughs> I mean, so... But I, I would switch it's like, back it's, and forth. It's, that, that, it's like a throttle or something, right? You're like... <laughs> yeah, I don't know, because like, like, they're both plugged in. Right, but you can't keep moving the mouse, so like... Picking it up over the... Well, you always clicked to yeah. shoot, no matter what you did, I right. think. So it's... Oh, interesting. Yeah. So Halo comes out. Um, it's mm -hmm. the sequel to Marathon, which I played a bunch of. Yeah, I've never actually played Marathon. It's not really the sequel to Marathon. Yeah, th there's like um, ways you could interpret it that it is right. a sequel, but um, it... 
probably isn't. And and Marathon is a funny game because in we just talked about like console versus PC gaming, but then there's Mac versus PC gaming, which oh. was a big deal earlier for Mac operating system and chips were the same thing. And Marathon was like the game. Mm. There wasn't another. Yeah, there were like the Blizzard games were all cross-platform. Yeah. Marathon was, but I'm writing down cross-platform. Mm-hmm. What makes Halo so great, I guess, is the big question. Like, I, I've had fun playing first-person shooters, mm-hmm. and I can list things that I think are fun about first-person shooters, but Halo is, like, the most popular franchise of the last two decades or something. Like, Right. I really need to mention Call of Duty right now. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I want to come back to it. Yeah. But because if you're talking about the most popular franchise in the last two decades, that, and also... I think it's really important to note Madden football. Okay. I'm saying it. Yeah, yeah. Not because I've played them. Right, sure. But they um. they would sell one a year to the same people over and over again. And so it's if you're talking about a franchise, it's important to bring up. Yeah. Um, so it bridges the gap between the corridor shooter and the modern shooter with big wide open spaces and running around and having multiple approaches to the same section. People like to talk about how the AI for the Covenant, the, the bad guys, mm-hmm. uh, is is particularly good. Or is like an early example of it feels good. Right, yeah. Rather. It's particularly fun. Yeah. And there's like some unpredictable things. And there's like suicide grunts that are these little guys that hold grenades and run at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, and you can kill them. And then they explode afterwards. They're kind of fun. You know, there's a few different enemy types. Right. You you mentioned the, the weapon toggling. And there are important choices you have to make. So this turns weapon slots into a limited resource, presumably. Yeah. So you're like, there's a rocket launcher. I want a rocket launcher. It only fires four shots. Do I drop my fully loaded pistol, which is not that strong, to pick up this rocket launcher? So you have this really interesting tactical decision. And yes, you drop your pistol. (laughs) (laughs) But then there's also certain combinations of weapons that are really good, like... The two different pistols, having both of those is actually good, but doesn't feel good. Like, I always hated the Covenant one, and then I realized, oh, it drops their shields instantly. We'll talk about it while we're playing. And this mattered more in Halo 2. And so Halo Halo is the game that really popularizes this regenerating health mechanic, right? So, in the first Halo, you have a shield, and you have health. And so it's the missing link. Right. Right, between old shooters and modern shooters. And Halo 2 is distinctly a modern shooter. And the first Halo is... It really is a modern one, but it has all these things from old shooters. So you can get shot, like, I don't know, six times with a pistol. I'm making that up. Somebody... (laughs) If anyone ever hears this... (laughs) Oh, and he said six times, but really... It's three and a half. (laughs) Yeah, so you can get shot... When your shields are down, you can get shot a number of times with... uh, Gun. I'm just going to say a gun. (laughs) And that's when SideQuest lost its credibility. Oh, yeah. Because we don't really love Halo or (laughs) like it or know anything about video games. I haven't played the first one in a long time. So this will be fun later. Um, But so you have like a number of little pips of health. Mm -hmm. And then that you go down as you get shot. And then you have a shield over it. The over... the. Not the overshield. The overshield is an item you can pick up, which is later. But your shield will recharge after some time. And your health, the little pips, go stay down and you have to find health packs. Like you're a Protoss unit. 
Yes. Exactly like you're a Protoss yep. unit. And then eventually in modern shooters, we evolved to being Zerg units, where we have only regenerating health. Yeah, well, the Zerg are more advanced. Exactly, yeah, they're the, the evolved species. Yeah. So it, it all makes sense. Right. I think in the second one, you have just regenerating health. Mm-hmm. And even that, you have shield that can go down, and then one hit mm. for your body. And that, there's something very satisfying about that, right? Like, the body's soft and... Right. But, but effectively, you just have regenerating health. Right, yeah, yeah. It's just your last shot, which would be true anyway. Right, yeah. You... you can't regenerate after you've been hit the last time, no matter what. True. But they, they get rid of health. And it makes a lot of sense in certain ways to do that. And health systems is like its whole own yeah. topic. I'm writing it down. Health systems. And so it makes sense because it means that any encounter that you enter into has a known quantity. You, they, right. It's a lot so, easier to design levels. So you can design levels at the... Well, you can design parts of levels at the encounter Mm-hmm. grain size rather than the level as a whole right um so you can say this encounter is going to be awesome because it's going to like be this cool thing right rather than being like you know we're going to design this whole level and it's going to be this challenge and you have to like slog through it in this various various ways i've heard people talk about how it's kind of a good thing where you're like the same encounter could be a crazy nail biter if you're down to your last you right. know shot or it could be amazing it can go either right. way. Yeah, and that's one of those like emergent gameplay things. And we, um, not on, on cast, we're talking about procedural generation earlier. Uh, procedural generation is really good at producing these kinds of stories where anything can happen and anything can suddenly be extremely suspenseful. And, and so the, the, the suspense of being at like extremely low health because you just killed the bad, the big bad, uh-huh. and then running into a goblin. Um, right. Is, is really interesting, and it's a, a like uniquely memorable gaming moment, um, but it's hard to author. Yeah, recently I have come across Don't Starve in a number of different contexts, including watching my sister play it. Hello, Ducky. And also, I watched uh, GDC talk about it, um, which was really interesting and good. Watch the GDC talks. This is the plug. Some of them, at least. There's a lot. There's so many of them, but YouTube is pretty good at recommending If you find yourself watching all of them, you should probably just start working on your game. Um, (laughs) I know, I've been sitting there so many times, thinking like, I could animate a robot right now. Or I could find out what this person has to say about PR mistakes and (laughs) game launches. There's There's an episode on game development, but that's... Let's, let's push that to the side. Oh. That's really funny that we haven't talked about game development at all. Which is weird. Because it's something we do. <laughs> well or poorly. No one knows. Yet. Yeah. Well, if we did it more, it would be easier to tell. <laughs> so yeah, so Don't Starve has this whole thing where sometimes you're low on health and then you find a spider and you think, nope. Not gonna go near them. Better run away and mm-hmm. find some carrots right. yeah, yeah. or I will die. And I was watching Ducky do all this, like, build traps and put them over rabbit holes and be like, oh, yes, grass and rabbit holes. Just what I needed. Oh, I'm saved. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> right, yeah. 
And there's power, like, there's something really powerful about giving weight to mundane things. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably that's powerful in part because life is actually made up of a series of mundane things which Mm -hmm. accumulate weight. Um, Right. I was playing this war of mine recently, and you find yourself at some points in the game being like, oh, all they have is this medicine. I just need, you know, wood. Yeah, I need food and wood so I can build my axe and then I can go out and do other things. I don't need this medicine. And then later you're like, man, I wish I had gotten that medicine because I'm sick. And also you get sick really fast. That game is not fun. It is worth playing and good. But fun is not the word I would use to describe it. And so, and then you have to later think, where did I see that medicine? Right. Can I use a whole night to get a place that I picked over? I picked clean of every most of the useful things, but it still has medicine. Like, do I do that? And that's an interesting game decision. It gives you a decision to make in the game. And mostly, I don't know the answer because I died a lot. And so I sort of stopped playing. But Halo does this thing with shield regenerating. Lo- looping mm-hmm. back. Presumably this makes authoring content easier. But not just mm-hmm. easier, but also, like, it, like, raises the ceiling for how cool something can be. Yeah, it, it means that you can make every moment somebody has perfectly tailored. Right. And so you can sort of ruin pacing by giving people, you know, oh my god, now I fought this guy who was supposed to be super easy... But I did something dumb or didn't notice that their grenade behind me. And now I'm down to one health. And so now the next encounter, which is supposed to be the hunter that is really hard and is going to kill me most of the time. And I don't know how to do this. Anyway, so... so wait, wait, I have a, a sentence yeah. um, that I just came up with. So what this kind of mechanic does is it gives more control to the director or the developer without taking control from the player. Mm. And a lot of times when you're authoring content, there's like a tension there where you're like, we want to make these cinematic moments, but we want to let the player like make all these great decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, But here you get to, with this mechanic, you get to not take away control from the player, but still make sure the thing that's happening is what you planned. Yeah, it doesn't matter that much because it turns out you can control this otherwise. Because, so one thing is that one of the benefits of exploration after you've cleared the corridor and you can go off down a path or like mm-hmm. walk around that thing to the side and down a little cliff is you can find health. Right. And so it makes exploration something that you can do to gain health. And I'm not really sure whether that's really all the way a good reason. It makes exploration something you get punished if you don't do. Or it makes you like, oh my God, let me look at every... Right. Yeah, and you can question that, right? Because Minecraft is a game that makes exploration inherently fun. Mm -hmm. And and that's just a huge can of worms, um, the Minecraft can of worms. Um, (laughs) And and how how Minecraft relates to the first-person shooter as a genre. Uh, Oh, my God. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah, especially the multiplayer um, things. Like, I, I don't think about it that much as a multiplayer game. But, in fact, that's a huge part. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm thinking as we go through this episode is that maybe our topic is too broad. Or our topics in general might be too broad because oh, we well, keep listing more specific things. We're also um, just really, really good at... Uh... <laughs> Digression. <laughs> yeah. That's 
sort of how we named this podcast. <laughs> but so, like, you can make exploration rewarding through game design in a lot of ways, and you don't have to have these, like, right. other it, tokens. I think it's also... Exploration is inherently rewarding. Right, or it should be. It should be, yeah. I'm writing down exploration as a thing. But you need to make sure that there are things to explore, and you also need to make sure that there are more paths Mm -hmm. and or a whole world or like 2D grid, (laughs) you know, to explore. Something to explore. And it's really good if you reward people, and you don't have to reward people with a shotgun or yeah or a cool suit of armor or a cool suit of armor i was thinking about rewards i'm writing down rewards is that one kind of reward that you can get is a bit of story right yeah a little bit of content a little bit of content Um, yeah just it doesn't have to affect your ability to play the rest of the game right um you can get like a funny little scene and again i think we've already talked about this at least once but the the part in portal where if you explore behind that, right. you know, the side of the wall and you find the cake is a lie, the cake is a lie, the cake yeah, is a and lie. That, it's great. And it's a, yeah, that's a really important moment. I think you could like talk about that moment in Portal for a long time. But right. yeah, I mean, the other thing, um, so Final Fantasy VII, there's a number of side characters. Right? Oh yeah. Um, um, Vincent and Tifa. Yeah. Um, Tifa's Sorry, not Tifa. Yuffie. Yes. I. Oh my god. And, and that's the second time I lost faith in side quest credibility. <laughs> I know you've played this game. Um, and one of the things that's interesting about both of those... and Is Kate Sith optional? No, because Kate Sith is deeply but involved in there the is, there is a, plot. There's an optional Kate Sith side quest, I think. Oh, that might, that's probably true. Um, I think most of the characters have some yeah, amount of... But, but Vincent and Vincent and Yuffie are totally, totally optional, I believe. Right. But, but for all of these things, all the side quests... Um, oh, yeah. And if you land on that one island and you don't have Yuffie, you don't do that whole... You're right. Her whole thing. Yeah, yeah. There's because this... she steals all your materia. Yeah. <laughs> You're like... What? <laughs> and she's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> and then she joins your team up team again. Yeah. That's funny. That That's just a really great... I'm going to write down Yuffie <laughs> steals your materia. Um, but, but so one of the, the things that's really fun here is uh, Final Fantasy VII rewards you with additional content for this exploration, but it rewards you with a different kind of content. Um, mm. They're like... Yuffie's side quest is, like, thematically different. It's goofier. I mean, the game has a lot of goofy stuff in it anyway. But, like, it it feels different. It's not just that it's not part of the main plot. It's a kind of content that wouldn't fit in the main plot. Huh. Um, Yeah, it's definitely not... Like, definitely has nothing to do with Sephiroth. Right. And that's not a thing I can necessarily come up with a lot of examples for. But it's a thing that, if I was thinking about how side quests should be designed, I, I would think hard about and I would, like advise people to think hard about like you're doing something different when you're exploring you're doing something different Mm -hmm. from the core gameplay so so maybe the reward is a different kind of thing Hmm. right you get a certain kind of content as your reward for like shooting aliens in the head well Uh, right and then you get a you you have a different experience because you found secret doors and caves right um it's like in portal you're main thing is solving interesting puzzles right and you get the story by exploring i think everyone who gets to that point in portal finds this right and that's the i think this is the genius of portal right like like we think of this as like this 
thing that is a secret that we found, but in fact, almost 100% of people find it. Right. Um, and, and that's how puzzle games work, right? Puzzle games work by making you feel like you're a genius for coming up with the solution that the developers planned you to come up with. Yeah. And you're like, I'm so smart. And you're like, somebody else wrote that. Um, <laughs> Put it in. And, and, and that's the interesting thing about the, the Cake is a Lie side panel as like a subset of that. Like, you know, that was there for me to find, but it makes me feel so good to find right. it. And like, now I understand what the game is telling me. <laughs> the game was telling you. <laughs> um, I want to briefly talk about Call of Duty. Mm hmm. Because we have to. Yeah, Cause I can. believe you. Um, there were a number of Call of Duties, and they were fine and good. And people played them, I guess. Right, they really liked them. Right. Enough to... And then there was Modern Warfare, which is Call of Duty 4? I want to call it 4. The first couple were World War II okay. games. And so that was their whole point. And I was working at a video game store when... The third one came out. It looked nice. Although everything looks really bright. That was one of the things about video <laughs> games is that texturing and lighting just made everything look really bright all the time when it looked really good. And it wasn't until later that people made things really dark and gritty and whatever. Sure. <laughs> Call of Duty 3 might have been a launch title for the Xbox 360. I can't remember exactly, but it was like the other Call of Duty, but on newer hardware. <laughs> But the new one. But the new one. I mean, at that point, hardware leaps were still making kind of a difference. Yeah. Um, as opposed to afterwards. I'm going to make a claim, which is that the games on the PlayStation 4 don't look as much better than the previous generation than the previous generation did hmm. from before it. I think that's true. Yeah. But I'm not saying they don't look better or that they couldn't look better. But the leap is just smaller. Right. Yeah, and for a bunch of different reasons, right? Because partially because of technical limitations, partially because at a certain point, maybe no one cares anymore. Yeah, and it's why you get braid and people being like, oh my god, this is so good, because you're like, oh, aesthetics are different from graphics. Da, right. Da, da. Anyway, so then they came out with Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare. So Halo was already out. I mean... The first Halo had been out for a long time. Halo 3 was already out, I think, which was for the 360 as well. And so there were a number of Halos for the 360. And so then Modern Warfare came out. It was less arcadey, so okay. to speak. So you you have to shoot things fewer times before they die, mostly. Okay. Um, there's a number of things you have to shoot a lot. There are people wearing big suits of armor. Because yeah. they're like, we actually can't design games without guys you have to shoot a lot. But right. okay. You know, they still need some kind of boss or whatever right. in the levels. Yeah. Um, but oh, it man. also has a very popular multiplayer. And it became the thing where people bought the new Call of Duty every year. Similar to the Maddens and right. the, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever, FIFAs. There's a big FIFA following around the world, or in other countries probably, but there are people who came into the video game store and bought the new FIFA. Oh, yep. the new FIFA. Um, they like soccer. I played the FIFA game on the, the first one that came out on the PS1 a lot. Huh. I haven't played very many. I played uh, soccer on the Atari. My, <laughs> I think that's the last time I played. My sister was a, uh, a semi-professional soccer player at one point in her life. Oh. Um, and she also liked playing video games, but... 
she didn't spend as much time playing video games as I did. And it was actually really fun to play FIFA together because she was really good at soccer and I was really good at video games. And so we were pretty, pretty even. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, and I thought that probably like spoke very well of, yeah. of the game, of the yeah. game design, because someone who was good at soccer had advantages. Yeah, it seemed like a good thing to play. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to play the other games with my sister, so it was it was fun to, to have a video game to play. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway, so it became a thing where they just kept releasing them and kept releasing them, and you're like, all right. And, you know, the multiplayer was really fun. They had some nice modes that were worth playing, and it was... Yeah. It's a good... Um, well, and by this point, multiplayer is... I mean, I guess I would love I would love data on uh, mm. on, like, playing and purchasing patterns. Like, are oh. people buying Call of Duty for the campaign or are they buying it for the multiplayer? Oh, for or, the multiplayer. Yeah, like, but like, is there a subset of people who buy it for the campaign and like don't play the multiplayer? Probably, but is it... It's small. It's Yeah, okay, that's my, um, that was my guess. So this and Halo 3 and Halo Reach and ODST is what I was big into Halo in the Xbox 360 generation and I played a lot of it and a lot of the people that I knew played a lot of it. I mean, I play a lot with Angela. <laughs> right, yes. Some of the same people. Yeah. Um. And so we played a lot of this game and part of it is that there's this community of people to play it and the community is content. Right. And it's largely outside of the developer's control but they have a lot of work on developing the community and listening to them and developing maps and they've included features that are player accessible for it because like you can see heat death maps mm -hmm. you right. know for halo and that was the whole thing that they were doing but um you know if you get to track where you're dying you can sure as hell bet that they are yeah so i, I remember reading and like i think it was in wired or something but an article about microsoft's level design process mm. for halo um, yeah and you know the the huge amount of data collection that they did for, for level design and it's things like if Everyone dies right outside of the room with the rocket launcher. Let's nerf the rocket launcher a little and put something else over there so that now they split the deaths between here right. and over there. And that gives more opportunity to go between the two and yeah. so on. And that, that's like the kind of thing that you can do if you're tracking all these things. And since everyone's playing mostly online, you can do a lot of this kind of thing. People in other games watch people play online because it sends death reports or whatever. That, you right. Know. And so you can know, oh, most people who quit this game quit after the third level. Why is that? Oh, maybe this third level is too hard. Let's patch it. Yeah. One of the things that always frustrated me about first-person shooters, um, and this is sort of related and sort of not, but it, it is related to the design stuff, is the amount of like map knowledge I was expected to have. Huh. Oh, um, yeah. To, to play well. And I just didn't. For whatever reason, like that was hard for me, and it's funny because like I played StarCraft, like I've played games where you knowing the map is helpful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Multiplayer games, but something about first-person shooter games, like it just always pissed me off. I was like, oh, well, I don't know where the, you know, whatevers are. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I know the Halo Three maps pretty well. I'm not sure I could jump into a game right now and right. be competitive or anything, but I knew those maps. If you're playing with your friends which you can do, then you can call out to each other and say, oh, over at this name of a place, because, you know, which may have a real name. Almost every map had something that we would call the Alamo. Because uh -huh. <laughs> it's where you do your last stand. Right. <laughs> and so, so you know, it'd be like where the sword is. Right. And sometimes you would call it the sword room. But the Alamo is so much better of a name, so... 
I think we've been talking for a very long time. Yeah. And that maybe we should stop and play some Halo. So we're going to wrap up this episode. We're going to go play Halo 1. Which I've never played, more or less. (laughs) True. And next time, we're going to come back and talk about how it went. Cool. I'm Bryce. And I'm Will. And this is SideQuests. See you later.